Chapter Seven of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Seven. A week went by, and Piers was as far as ever from resuming his regular laborious life. One day he spent in London. His father's solicitor had desired to see him in the matter of the legacy. Piers received his money, and on the same day made over one hundred and fifty pounds to Daniel Otway, whom he met by appointment. In exchange, Daniel handed him a beautifully written I.O.U., which the younger brother would pocket only with protest. Another week passed. Piers no longer pretended to keep his usual times. He wandered forth whenever home grew intolerable, and sometimes snatched his only sleep in the four-and-twenty hours under the hawthorn blossom of some remote meadow. His mood had passed into bitterness. I was well before. Why did she interfere with me? She did it knowing what would happen. It promised her amusement. I should have kept to myself and have been safe. She waylaid me. That first meeting on the stairs. He raged against her and against all women. One evening, towards sunset, he came home dusty and weary and with a hangdog air, for he had done something which made him ashamed. Miles away from Ewell, thirst and misery had brought him to a wayside inn, where, the first time for years, he drank strong liquor. He drank more than he needed, and afterwards fell asleep in a lane and woke to new wretchedness. As he entered the house and was about to ascend the stairs, a voice called to him. It was Mrs. Hannaford's. She bade him come to her in the drawing-room, and reluctantly he moved thither. The lady was sitting idle and alone. She looked at him for a moment without speaking, and then beckoned him forward. "'Your brother has been here,' she said, in a low voice not quite her own. "'Daniel?' "'Yes. He called very soon after you'd gone out. He wouldn't—couldn't uh, stay. He'll let you know when he's coming next time.' "'Oh, all right. Come and sit down.' She pointed to a chair next hers. "'How tired you look!' Her tone was very soft, and as he seated himself she touched his arm gently. The room was scented with roses. A blind, half-drawn on the open window, broke the warm western rays. Upon a tree nearby, a garden warbler was piping evensong. "'What is it?' she asked with a timid kindness. "'What has happened? Won't you tell me?' "'You know.' I'm sure you know. His voice was choked into silence. Oh, but you will get over it. Oh, yes, you will. Your work. I can't work, he broke out vehemently. I shall never work again. She has changed all my life. I must find something else to do. I don't care what. I can't go in for that examination. Then abruptly he turned to her with a look of eagerness. Would it be any use? Suppose I got a place in one of the offices. Would there be any hope for me? Mrs. Hannaford's eyes dropped. Don't think of her, she answered. She has such brilliant prospects. It is so unlikely. You think me unsympathetic. Oh, I'm not. Again she let her fingers rest on his arm. 
i feel so much with you that i daren't offer imaginary hopes she belongs to such a different world try try to forget her of course i know she cares and thinks nothing about me now but if i made my way she will marry very early and someone with an upward movement of her hand the speaker was sufficiently explicit otway he knew not why tried to laugh and frightened himself with the sound she is not the only girl good and beautiful mrs hannaford continued pleading with him for me she is he replied in a hard voice and i believe she will be always for a minute or two the little warbler sang in silence and then piers of a sudden stood up and strode hastily away mrs hannaford fell into reverie her daughter was in london to-day her husband absent somewhere else but she had not been solitary for daniel otway failing to meet his brother lingered a couple of hours in the drawing-room as she sat dreaming under the soft light her face relieved for the moment of its weariness and discontent had a beauty more touching than that of youth upstairs piers found a letter waiting him he did not know the writing and found with surprise that it came from his brother alexander who had addressed it to him through their father's solicitor alexander wrote from the neighbourhood of bloomsbury square it was an odd letter beginning formally almost paternally and running off into chirruping facetiousness as if the writer had tried in vain to subdue his natural gaiety there were extraordinary phrases i congratulate you on being gazetted major in the regiment of old time for my own part i am just beginning my thirty-fifth round with knuckly life and i rejoice to say that i have come up smiling floras i have suffered not a few in the rounds preceding but i am harder for it harder and gamer shall we not crack a bottle together on this side of the circumfluent oceanus and so on to the effect that alexander much wished for a meeting with his brother and urged him to come to theobald's road as soon as possible at his own convenience it gave pierce what he needed badly something new to think about from what he remembered of alexander he did not dislike him and this letter made on the whole an agreeable impression but he remembered daniel's warning in any case there could be no harm in calling on his brother it made an excuse for a day in london the country stillness having driven him all but to a frenzy so he replied at once saying that he would call on the following afternoon alexander occupied the top floor of a great old house in theobald's road whether he was married or not piers had not heard the appearance of the place suggested bachelor quarters but as he knocked at what seemed the likely door there sounded from within an infantine wail which became alarmingly shrill when the door was thrown open by a dirty little girl at sight of piers this young person evidently a servant drew back smiling and said with a strong irish accent uh, please to come in they're expecting of you he passed into a large room magnificently lighted by the sunshine but very simply furnished a small round table two or three chairs and a piano were lost on the great floor which had no carpeting only a small indian rug being displayed as a thing of beauty in the very middle 
there were no pictures but here and there to break the surface of the wall strips of bright-coloured material were hung from the cornice at the table next to the window sat a man writing also as his lips showed whistling a tune and on the bare boards beside him sat a young woman with a baby on her lap another child of two or three years old amusing itself by pulling her dishevelled hair here's your brother mr otway yelled the little servant ah give that baby to me mum i know what'll quiet him bless his little heart alexander sprang up waving his arm in welcome he was a stoutish man of middle height with thick curly auburn hair and a full beard geniality beamed from his blue eyes is it yourself piers he shouted with utterance suggestive of the emerald isle though the man was so loudly english it does me good to set eyes on you upon my soul it does i knew you'd come didn't i say you'd come biddy piers this is my wife bridget the best wife living in all the four quarters of the world mrs otway had risen and stood smiling the picture of cordiality she was not a beauty though the black hair broad flung over her shoulders made no common adornment but her round healthy face with its merry eyes and gleaming teeth had an honest attractiveness and her soft irish tongue went to the heart it never occurred to her to apologise for the disorderly state of things having got rid of her fractious baby not without a kiss she took the other child by the hand and with pride presented my daughter leonora a name which gave piers a little shock of astonishment sit down piers shouted her husband first we'll have tea and talk then we'll have talk and tobacco then we'll have dinner and talk again and after that whatever the gods please to send us my day's work is done ecce signum he pointed to the slips of manuscript from which he had risen alexander had begun life as a medical student but never got so far as a diploma in many capacities often humble but never disgraceful he had wandered over broader britain drifting at length as he was bound to do into irregular journalism and how's the old man at home he asked while mrs otway busied herself in getting tea piers it's the sorrow of my life that he hasn't a good opinion of me i don't say i deserve it but as i live i've always meant to and i admire him piers i've written about him and i sent him the article but he didn't acknowledge it how does he bear his years the old trojan and how does his wife use him <laughs> that was a mistake piers that was a mistake in marriage and remember this piers for your time will come it must be the best or none at all i acted upon that though heaven knows the trials and temptations i went through i said to myself the best or none and i found her piers <laughs> i found her sitting at a cottage door by enniscorthy county wexford where for a time i had the honour of acting as tutor to a young gentleman of promise uh, cut short alas the blind fury with the abhorred shears i wrote an elegy on him which i'll show you his father admired it and had it printed and gave me twenty pounds like the gentleman he was there appeared a handsome tea-service the only objection to it being that every piece was chipped or cracked and not one thoroughly clean 
leonora a well-behaved little creature who gave earnest of a striking face sat on her mother's lap watching the visitor and plainly afraid of him well exclaimed mrs otway i should never have taken you two for brothers no not even the half of it he has an intellectual face biddy observed her husband pale just now but it's the pale cast of thought what are you aiming at piers oh, i don't know was the reply absently spoken ah, but i'm sorry to hear that you should have concentrated yourself by now indeed you should if i had to begin over again i should go in for commerce pierce gave him a look of interest indeed you mean that oh i do i would apply myself to the science and art of money-making in the only hopeful way honest buying and selling there's something so satisfying about it i envy even the little shopkeeper who reckons up his profits every saturday night and sees his business growing but you must begin early you must learn money-making like anything else if i had made money peers i should be at this moment the most virtuous and meritorious citizen of the british empire alexander was vexed to find that his brother did not smoke he lit his pipe after tea and for a couple of hours talked ceaselessly relating the course of his adventurous life an entertaining story told with abundant vigour with humorous originality though he had in his possession scarce a dozen volumes alexander was really a bookish man and something of a scholar his quotations which were frequent ranged from homer to horace from chaucer to tennyson he recited a few of his own poetical compositions and they might have been worse peers made him glow and sparkle with a little praise meanwhile bridget was putting the children to bed and cooking the evening meal styled dinner for this occasion both proceedings were rather tumultuous but amid the clamour they necessitated no word of ill-temper could be heard screams of laughter on the other hand were frequent with manifest pride the little servant came in to lay the table she only broke one glass in the operation and her sure now who'd have thought it as she looked at the fragments delighted alexander beyond measure the chief dish was a stewed rabbit smothered in onions after it appeared an immense gooseberry tart the pastry hardly to be attacked with an ordinary table knife compromising for the nonce with his teetotalism as well as his vegetarianism not to pain the hosts piers drank bottled ale it was an uproarious meal the little servant whilst in attendance took her full share of the conversation and joined shrilly in the laughter mrs otway had arrayed herself in a scarlet gown and her hair was picturesquely braided she ceased not from hospitable cares and set a brave example in eating and drinking yet she was never vulgar as an untaught london woman in her circumstances would have been and many a delightful phrase fell from her lips in the mellow language of county wexford when the remnants of dinner were removed a bottle of irish whisky came forth with the due appurtenances then it was that alexander with pride in his eyes made known bridget's one accomplishment she had a voice and would presently use it for their guest delectation 
She was trying to learn the piano as yet with small success, but Alexander, who had studied music concurrently with medicine, and to better result, was able to furnish accompaniments. The concert began, and Piers, who had felt misgivings, was most agreeably surprised. Not only had Bridget a voice, a very sweet mezzo-contralto, but she sang with remarkable feeling. More than once the listener had much ado to keep tears out of his eyes. They were at his throat all the time, and his heart swelled with the passionate emotion which had lurked there to the ruin of his peace. But music, the blessed, the peacemaker, for music called Marshall is but a blustering bastard, changed his torments to ecstasy. His love, however hopeless, became an inestimable possession, and he seemed to himself capable of such great, such noble things as had never entered into the thought of man. The crying of her baby obliged Bridget to withdraw for a little. Alexander, who had already made a gallant inroad on the whisky-bottle, looked almost fiercely at his brother, and exclaimed, "'What do you say to that? Isn't that a woman? Isn't that a wife to be proud of?' Piers replied with enthusiasm. "'Not long ago,' proceeded the other, "'when we were really hard up, she wanted me to let her earn money with her voice. She could, you know. But do you think I'd allow it?' "'Sooner I'll fry the soles of my boots and make believe they're beefsteak. "'Look at her, and remember her when you're seeking for a wife of your own. "'Never mind if you have to wait. It's worth it. "'When it comes to wives, the best or none. That's my motto.' "'In his emotional mood, Piers had an impulse. "'He bent forward and asked quietly, "'Are things all right now?' "'About money, I mean.' Oh, "'We get on. Oh, "'We could do with a little more furniture, "'but all in good time.' "'Piers again listened to his impulse. "'He spoke hurriedly of the money he had received, "'and hinted, suggested, made an embarrassed offer. "'Impossible not to remark the gleam of joy "'that came into Alexander's eyes, "'though he vehemently, almost angrily, "'declared such a thing impossible. "'It was plain he quivered to accept. "'And in the end, accept he did, "'around fifty pounds. "'Alone, oh, strictly alone, of course, "'the most binding legal instrument "'should be given in acknowledgment of the debt. "'Interest should be paid "'at the rate of three and a half per cent per annum.' not a doit less and just when this was settled bridget came back again the sleepless baby at her breast ah he wants to have his share of the good company she exclaimed and why shouldn't he bless him alexander grew glorious it was one of his peculiarities that when he had drunk more than enough he broke into noisy patriotism Piers. "'Have you ever felt grateful enough for being born an Englishman? "'I've seen the world, and I know the Englishman is the top of creation. "'When I say English, I mean all of us, English, Irish or Scotch. "'Give me an Englishman and an Irish woman, and let all the rest of the world go hang. "'I've travelled, Piers, my boy. "'I've seen what the great British race is doing the world round, and I'm that 
proud of it i can't find words to express myself i've seen something of other races interposed pierce lifting his glass with unsteady hand and i don't think we've any right to despise them oh i don't exactly despise them but i say what are they compared with us a poor lot a shabby lot i'm a journalist piers and let me tell you that we english newspaper men have the destiny of the world in our hands it makes me proud when i think of it we guard the national honour let any confounded foreigner insult england and he has to reckon with us a word from us and it means war piers glorious war with triumphs for the race and for civilization england means civilization the other nations don't count oh come i tell you they don't count roared alexander his hair wild and his beard ferocious you're not one of the muffs who want to keep england little and tame are you i think pretty much with father about these things the old man oh i've forgotten the old man but he's not of our time piers he's old-fashioned though a good old man i admit no we must be armed and triple-armed we must be so strong that not all the confounded foreigners leagued together can touch us it's the cause of civilization, Piers. I preach it whenever I get the chance. I wish I got it oftener. I stand for England's honour. England's supremacy on sea and land. I stand... He tried to do so to reach the bottle, which proved to be empty. Send for another, Biddy, the right Irish molass. <laughs> another bottle to the glory of the British Empire. Piers, we'll make a nice of it. I haven't a bed to offer you, but Biddy will give you a shake down here on the floor. You're the right sort, Piers. You're a noble-minded, generous-hearted Englishman. Mrs. Otway, with a glance at the visitor, only made pretence of sending for more whisky, and Piers, after looking at his watch, insisted on taking leave. Alexander would have gone with him to the station, but Bridget forbade this. The patriot had to be content with promises of another such evening, and Piers, saying significantly, "'You'll hear from me,' hastened to catch his train. End of chapter 7